Well, it is good to see you this morning. Uh, today is our very last week of our series, Beloved, out of the book of First John. Next week, we'll start our Advent series, which I'm super excited about, Unexpected Hope. We're going to talk about God expected to bring hope, but he did it in ways we would often unexpect through Jesus, and that fits perfectly with 2020 and this Christmas and this Advent season. So we'll start that next week. Super excited about that. But for today, I'd love for you to grab a Bible and head to the book of 1 John. Just go to the end of your Bible if you're new to the Bible. If you're at home, uh, go to your Bible as well. 1 John chapter 5, Revelation. Just go back a little bit. 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21, and we are closing out this series called Beloved. And what we're going to see is John closes out the series, closes out the book rather abruptly. And it's really how he started the book. Do you remember how John started the book of 1 John? It was, it was abrupt. There was no introduction. There was no greeting. He just jumped right into it. And he really ends the book the same way. And if, I want to give you a sneak peek of that uh, with me. Just look at the very last verse with me. Chapter 5, verse 21. This is how John ends the whole book. He says this, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now as I read that, that seemed kind of random. Maybe you look at that and that seems kind of a, a random way to end this book. And, and there's a couple reasons for that. One of those reasons is if you've been with us, you know this whole series, this whole book has been about love. It's been saturated with love 40 plus times. John talks about love. The series title, Beloved, is, is from John calling us his title, Beloved. Five times he, he calls us the beloved. Uh, he is the beloved disciple of Jesus. This whole book is saturated with love, and yet he doesn't conclude the book with love, John, or pass along my love to these specific people. He doesn't talk about love. In fact, he uses a word that he hasn't used the entire book, idols. So you're like, what, what's that about? We're going to get to that at the end. Why idols? Why does he close out the book with idols? But just in general, it's a little bit weird that he ends the letter with a warning. Right? It's kind of odd to do that, right? You don't get any context. We don't get any clarification. He just ends with this warning. It would be like if you're speaking on the phone with someone and you're having a good conversation. You start to wrap up the phone call and say, well, hey, it was good talking to you. And, and the other person says, oh, yeah, but just real quick, hey, don't go to sleep tonight. You'd be a little freaked out, right? You'd be like, wait, what? What do you mean by that? And he hangs up the phone. It's over, right? That's kind of what John does. And so it's a little bit random. It's a little bit odd. But, but here's what we're going to see. We'll talk about idols and how that coincides with the rest of the letter at the end. But, but just that warning is a sense of protection from John. Remember who John is at this point in his life. He's a grandpa. We think maybe in his 80s or, or 90s, and, and as a good father, he's, he's bringing, he calls his little kids, little children, nine times in the book. He's bringing his little children close, his last comments in the whole letter, and he wants us to be protected. And so he gives a warning. And so we're going to see today, our, our sermon title today is Protecting Love. We're going to see what John wants us as his kids in the faith, what he wants us to be protected from. So that's where we are headed. So look at the text with me, 1 John chapter 5. Our sermon title is Protecting Love. Our first point, if you take notes, is Protected from Doubt. Protected from Doubt. We'll read a few verses if you're new. If you're joining us online, this is your first time. We'll read a few verses, break it down, and read a few verses and do the same thing again. So look at the text with me, 1 John 5, starting in verse 13. 
It says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So verse 13, we see the, the purpose statement of the whole book. Right? He tells us, he says, this is why I'm writing these things to you. It's so that you may know that you have eternal life. Remember, John, older in age, he's talking to us like a father, but he's also giving us even better than that. He's giving us the fatherly affection of God throughout the book. That we're God's kids. He's a perfect father. He's not a power-hungry boss. He's not giving you a performance review every time you lay your head on the pillow at night. He loves you. He's a perfect father. He loves you right where you are. Listen, John wants you to know this, to have confidence in this. This is why he wrote the whole letter. And as we come to the end of this letter, if you know nothing else in 2020... If you're uncertain about everything else, here's what you need to know today. God is a good father, and you are his kid eternally, forever. If we come to the end of this book and you don't know that, then I have failed you. John has failed you. You need to know that this morning. Do you know that? Is that the one thing as we conclude this year? Michael said it. We have so much to be thankful for. And some of you are thinking, Does he not know what's going on in the world? Does he not know what's going on in my life? How could he say that? We have a good father, the God of the universe. He could have picked any illustration, any imagery to describe himself, and yet he picks father. Scandalous in that day in that Jewish culture to call God father. And yet that's exactly who God is Do you know that as we conclude this letter? God loves you right where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. He loves you because you are one of his kids. Amen? Amen. John wants you to know, have confidence in that. And one of the primary ways this confidence gets worked out is through prayer. He says at verse 14 that God hears our request. Verse 15, he answers our request. And notice how he says it. He says if we ask anything, whatever we ask, John is saying we should have so much confidence in God that we would talk to him about anything. Think about it. If you know that God is your perfect father, he's your father, you're one of his kids, you can talk to him about anything. Paul says it in Philippians Chapter 4, that we should be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication make our requests known to God. That if we have a good father, we can be confident that we can talk to him about everything. And we've said this before, but i got to say it again. He's not talking about Teslas. He's not talking about trips and vacations to Hawaii. Right? How do we know? He says, according to his will. Sorry to disappoint, right? John 14, 13, Jesus says the same thing. Whatever you ask in my name. It's the idea that as we love God, we start to love what he loves. And we start to ask for things that he wants to give us, right? So that's what John is talking about. He's not linking together prayer and the lottery. He's linking together prayer with confidence. 
And if you think about it, this works that way logically, right? That is, we have confidence that God's a good father, not a power-hungry boss. Man, we want to bring everything to that God. We want it in everything, in prayer and supplications, Philippians 4. We want to bring everything to that. He's a good father. He's inviting us in to talk to him, to approach his throne with confidence. And that confidence leads to talking to him, right? But it's also, it works in the reverse as well. As we talk to our good father, as we spend time with him, and he hears our request and he answers those things, what does that breed more of? Confidence, yeah. So we have confidence that leads to prayer. That prayer leads to, to confidence, right? And the reverse is also true, isn't it? Many of us, if you said, hey, why don't you pray more? Well, I'm not sure if I'm one of God's kids. I mean, do you know what I did last night? I mean, you don't know my past. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm not sure I'm one of his kids, not because of what I've done, but because who I perceive him to be. I don't perceive him as a good father. And that doubt is often for many of us, hey, hey, why don't you pray more? Well, I'm just not sure where I am. I'm just not feeling close to God. Why don't you pray more? And that's what causes us to not pray more. And again, the reverse is also true. As we don't talk to God, that breeds more doubt. Right? It's the same way it works in all of our relationships. It's the same way it's working in this season of 2020, isn't it? Like as many of us over the last nine months are more isolated than we ever have been, is that causing you to assume the best of people or the worst? I don't know how many people I've talked to that just said, hey, I haven't talked to so-and-so in a while. I'm con concerned about them. I'm not sure where we are uh, in our relationship. I'm not sure why they said this on social media. And I will always say, have you talked to them? Novel idea. And most often we say, no, I haven't, I haven't reached out to him. No phone call. No FaceTime. But I think they might be thinking this. Well, have you talked to him? No. But that lack of conversation breeds more doubt. Right? It's the same way in our relationship with God. And so we have to have this discipline of trusting the promises of, of God that God's a good father. He hears our prayers. So let's talk to him. Let's create space in our life to talk to him because that confidence will bring more confidence as we do that. I know for me, this week, I had the opportunity to talk to God. God carved out some space in my life, so I had to talk to him. He did that via getting my kids a puppy in Oklahoma. Right? Long story, I'll share it later, of why Oklahoma. But needless to say, right, I had 15 hours with me, the puppy, and God. And listen, I, I'm a pastor, but I'm also a person. I have doubt. I have doubts in this season. I have fears and anxieties that well up within me. But I'm sitting here in my car, and I have uh, the New Mexico sunset, which is beautiful. And I have this little puppy, and I have God. And so God carved out this time to, to leave my doubt and to go to confidence and talk to him. And so I started listening to an audio book that talked about the promises of God in Scripture. I started telling God my doubts. Newsflash, he already knew them. He knows your fears, he knows your anxiety, he knows your doubts. He wants you, he's a good father, he wants to hear those things. He wants you to bring, I'm a father of three. 
my kids are doubting, when they're having trouble at school, I want them to tell me about those things. And God wants that. So I had all this time, and I had this puppy uh, in my car, and the first hour, let me just tell you, I called my wife, and I said, it's going to take us three days to get to Phoenix, <laughs> not 15 hours, because the puppy was trying to get out of the bin and all those sorts of things. He needed to go potty, and I'm just like, it's not going to work. But guess what? As he got to know me, his dad, he started to feel comfortable. I gave him some food. I started to pet him. I let him know, hey, I want your best, little buddy. And after that first hour, like the best dog ever. I don't think it's because of his dad. The best dog ever, he just went to sleep. And if he wasn't sleeping, he was smiling at me with his tongue hanging out. And so I, not only is that an illustration of just endearing myself to him and, and a good father, right, and how we feel confident, but it also just gave me space to talk to God and feel more confident in him. And I remember calling my wife on the road, and she's like, are you doing okay? How's the dog doing now? And I'm like, man, this is great. I just, I feel like I've just been able to air so much of my doubt, so much of my fear, so much of my anxiety, and I haven't carved out space for that enough in my life, and this has forced me to do that. And I came home after a 15-hour drive with a little puppy with confidence, excited to preach to you, thankful for what God has done with all the uncertainty. God brought confidence through conversation with him. Some of you, you may not need to go to Oklahoma to get a puppy, but you need to carve out some space to talk to God. You need to carve out some space. You want confidence, you need conversation. That the more you distance yourself from God, the more you leave his presence, the more you will doubt him. It will grow. That doubt will breed doubt. Listen, the best thing you can do as we end this year, as we end this series, as we go into a new year, is carve out time for conversation with God. You will learn. I promise you, you will learn. He's a good father. I can trust him. This is his character. This is his nature. These are his promises. How I can fight every battle our face. That's our, our New Year series. Just to give you a little preview, it's fighting words. We're going to look at promises to fight every battle we face. You get that kind of confidence when you look at God's word, when you pray to him. As we start this Advent series, we're going to ask you to go through this first five Advent devotional. It's an app called First Five, the first five minutes of your day, and it lays out everything. Some of you think, well, Tim, I don't know how to talk to God. I don't know how to conversate with God. We're going to give you that app and say, hey, hey, go through this. It's five minutes. It walks through scripture, walks through the Advent season, and gives you ideas of what to pray to God. Take those steps so you can be confident in God. John writes this, so that you may know, so that you have confidence toward your Father in heaven. So John wants us to be protected from doubt. The second thing is John wants us to be protected from evil. Look at verse 16 with me. Verse 16, he says this, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who committed sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Remember chapter 1. John's not saying you never sin again. In chapter 1, he says what to do with sin. We confess it. For God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. In fact, in John, 1 John chapter 1, he says, if we say we don't have sin, we make God a liar. 
So everybody remember that? He's not talking about never sinning again. He's talking about repetitive, repetitive, intentional cycles of sin, that a believer doesn't do that. He says, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one, that's Satan, does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So John says, hey, we have confidence in God, but it's not just for ourselves. We have confidence in God and what we ask God for ourselves, but it's not just about us. We have a family. He, he says we have a brother or a sister in Christ. He's talked about before that we have this familial faith in the church. And so we don't just have confidence, hey, we can talk to God about ourselves. We can talk to God about other people, specifically other people who are stuck in sin. Now, he says a lot there, and so I'm going to break this down. Here's what we don't know, and here's what we do know. We don't know specifically what John means by the sin that leads to death. And primarily, we don't know that because John doesn't explain it to us. I wish he had, right? But, but here's what we do know. One, just from the context, the fact that John, who's a grandfather, who's saying, little children in the faith, Hey, come close. John, who, I don't know if you've noticed this, he's really cyclical in his writing, not linear like the Apostle Paul. He comes back to things often. He explains things very thoroughly. But for whatever reason, this sin that leads to death, no explanation. Right? Come on, John, Grandpa John, bring your kids close. Explain this to us. And he doesn't do it. What does that tell us? Well, most scholars believe, hey, his original audience probably just knew what he was referring to. He says sin that leads to death. Like, don't pray for those people that experience the sin that leads to death. They just probably knew what he was talking about. We don't. Here's another thing we know, Romans 6.23, that ultimately all sin leads to death, that the wages of sin is spiritual death, eternal separation from God. Right? So we can look at that and just know that from other Scripture. Uh, But not only that, we can look at exactly what he says. Look at what he says with me. He says, there is sin that does not lead to death. He said, there is sin that leads to death. He doesn't say there is a sin. Do you notice that? He's not talking about like one specific sin that we should all look for. Is that the sin or is that a sin that leads to death? He's not calling us to be spiritual detectives and say, hey, pray for everybody who's sinning around you, but really look for a sin. He doesn't say a sin. He just said there is sin that leads to death. And so we don't know specifically what he's saying, but we do know sin overall leads to death. And we do know, he says, if you see your brother, if you see your family in sin, you should pray for them. You should intervene. That God has put you there. You're the one who's born of God. And you're the one who's supposed to help protect that other believer from sin. Now, We'll get to more of that because I do think that's the crux of what John is saying. Here's my best estimate of what John is getting at with that sin that leads to death, this exception. right? Uh, most scholars will look at it. I read several commentaries on it. He's either talking about spiritual death or he's talking about physical death. He may be talking about physical death, that there's a sin so grave and so harmful that it's literally leading that person to death. They will die right then. God will take him home from that sin, so you shouldn't pray for him. He's already too far gone. It's either that or spiritual death. And again, Scripture interprets Scripture. So we get some context. Earlier in the book, John talked about antichrists, people that were not only denying Jesus Christ, but who were deceptively leading other people to deny Jesus also. 
And so maybe he's talking about, hey, don't pray, don't pray, don't associate with these kinds of people. He, earlier he said to lead these kinds of people, these antichrists, these deceptive deniers of Christ. And so don't get wrapped up in praying for them. They're not your brother in Christ anymore. And so he might be talking about either one of those. I tend to lead because of context. I tend to lead, lean towards, he's talking about these antichrist people. He's already warned these people of them. And so he's saying, hey, again, distance yourself from these people, not just people who deny Christ, but who are causing other people to deny Christ and doing it in deceptive ways. But let's get at the certainty. Here's what John is calling us to. He's calling us to pray for other people, to intervene, to help protect people from sin, from Satan, from the evil one, that that protection is powerful. Look back at the text with me. It says, he who has been born of God keeps him. That is another believer. That, that, that he doesn't allow the evil one to touch him. The only other place that verb for touch is used is John 20, verse 17, the Gospel of John. Where uh, Jesus literally tells Mary to stop clinging to me. Same word. So you see that word, as we as believers protect other believers who are in sin. So that the, the evil one can't even touch that believer. It's saying that so the evil one can't cling to that believer. He's not going to take hold of his life or her life. Jesus says something similar in John chapter 10, where he talks about that he's the good shepherd, that his sheep hear his voice, that he protects them so much so that that no evil can pluck them out of my hand. It's the same concept. This is the power that we have. Remember, we have confidence in God for ourselves, but also for other people. This is the power that we have in a relationship with God and others. That we can help keep people from sin. That we can keep people away from even Satan and his grips and close to the grips of the Father. That's the the thing John is really getting at. And I think there's a few options for us as we look at people who are in sin and and maybe something that we wouldn't do that John calls us to do. And and for oftentimes, I think sometimes, instead of out of love for other people and intervening for them, protecting them from sin and the evil one, we'll do things out of hate for people. And we would never say that. We're not saying we hate somebody else, but we'll act as if we hate them. Here's how we'll do it. Instead of doing what John calls us to do and somebody else is stuck in sin, they're stuck in lust, they're stuck in greed, they're stuck in pride, you're seeing the way they speak to their wife. You're seeing the way they're overworking and, and putting success above their, their family. You're seeing the way they're, they're speaking harshly to other people. You're seeing the way they're isolating from people. You see those things with somebody else in the faith. And instead of intervening, protecting them, going to God, going to them directly, out of love, you do something out of hate. And again, it doesn't. it's kind of veiled hate. You, you don't just... You don't talk to God about it. You don't talk to them about it. You go talk to five other people about it. And maybe it's so veiled that it's veiled as a prayer request. <laughs> hey, have you heard about this person? Hey, have you seen Johnny in a little while? I haven't seen them at church. Yeah, and you start to say what they've been doing and what you've seen in their life. And you need to know that's not love for the person. That is hateful. That's gossip. And so a lot of times we'll do that. A lot of times we'll do nothing out of love for ourselves. We'll say things like, hey, have you talked to them? Have you talked to them about this sin? Have you talked to God about that? Well, no, I don't want to be mean. And it's really not out of love for the other person. It's out of love for ourselves and the way they see us. You've been there? That person's in sin, and you're like, 
Have you talked to him? Well, no, I, I don't want to be mean. I don't want to. I mean, I have sin in my own life. And really, it's love for ourselves, that we're insecure. We don't want them to think ill of us. And so rather than speaking the truth in love, a hard truth, because we love them, we'll refrain from that out of love for ourselves. John's calling us to do something different. He's calling us to do something out of love. Even when we look bad, even when it doesn't make us look great, even when it seems like they may not like it, that we do something out of love. When we see a brother in sin, we pursue them. We pursue God with them. Uh, last week when I was in Oklahoma, I went to the uh, Oklahoma City bombing uh, museum and memorial. And I, I had a few hours to kill in Oklahoma. There's not much else to do in Oklahoma, just FYI. And so I went to that. Let me just tell you, it, it is something worth going to. I don't know if you know this, 1995, the deadliest domestic terrorist attack in our nation occurred where this federal building in Oklahoma City was bombed. 168 people died. 19 children died. And they, they put a lot of work into this memorial. You can see the kids' faces. You walk through. You kind of hear what, what was happening at 9.01 on this day, 9.01 a.m. They, they let you hear the audio of a meeting that was happening. And then all of a sudden, you begin to hear the audio of the bombing and, and people running for their lives. It's, it's a very uh, true-to-life experience. And so I'm just walking through this and, and seeing this experience. And I learned something I didn't know. I knew that there were two bombers, Timothy McVeigh and another guy. But there was also a third guy. His name was Michael Fortier, and ironically, he's from Kingman, Arizona. Now, I think he's in the eyewitness protection program now, and so I don't know where he lives, but he's from Arizona, and he was part of this, and he at the very least knew about what was taking place. Timothy McVeigh was like a best man in his wedding, and he knew what was taking place, but he didn't say anything. 168 people died. Because he didn't say anything. But did he do anything? He didn't, he didn't place the bomb. He didn't light it. He wasn't even in the getaway car. He wasn't even there. But he didn't say anything. Things blew up. The same things happen in our spiritual lives. How many people do you know? I see my, my friend, my fellow believer in Christ. I see him flirting with that person at work. I see him looking at porn. I know he's talked about it. And I know he hasn't put those things on his devices, those filters. I see it. But I don't want to be mean. I mean, who am I to judge? I have sin in my life. And you see it. And they end up committing adultery. Maybe it's weeks later. Maybe it's months later. Maybe it's years later. You think, man, I should have said something. And now his whole life is blown up. His kids are having two different Christmases. Maybe I should have said something. And you're thinking, Tim, well, that's a lot to put on me. I mean, I'm not him. I wasn't doing the sin. Listen, Michael Fortier got 12 years in prison and is in a witness protection program. His life will never be the same. How many times do you think he thinks about, should I have said something? John's going to say, hey, we don't just love God. What does he say? We love each other. That we are just as connected to God as we are connected to each other. That brother who is in sin, maybe it's not lust. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's resentment. Maybe it is isolation. 
As you look out, and listen, this is so important right now as we are isolated. As you look out, you need to reach out. That God has placed you there, part of the family of God, to love someone by speaking a hard truth directly to them, by going to God and lifting up these requests to God. This is how they are protected from Satan, from destruction in their lives. God's placed you there. It is not love to ignore the situation. If you're wondering, you're starting to think, I have a friend. I think he's stuck in sin. I think he has a proclivity to this specific sin. Should I say something? The answer is yes. You should speak the truth in love. That is how, do you notice, John says, that's how God protects us from sin. It's through one another. He's placed you there to do that. Do you speak out? Do you speak up to God when you see other people in sin? I remember a, a guy uh, that I knew in, in Austin. We first started a church there. He was an elder at our church. I've shared this story before. And he didn't make it the first few months of the church because he committed adultery. And I began to meet with this guy. It was a huge restorative thing. He stayed together with his wife. They're still together this day. God can heal those types of sins. And he did it in my friend's life. But I had the privilege to walk with this guy for the next two years. And we'd meet for lunch. We'd walk through scripture. We'd go through all this restorative stuff. And I don't know how many times I talked to him where he said, hey, if I could just go back to that moment. If I could just go back to that party. And he would also say, not just if I could just do things differently. He said, Hey, if somebody could have just grabbed me. I mean, that lady that I was around, they were at parties. They would play poker together and things like that. Same neighborhood, kind of a crazy situation. And other people noticed, hey, you're kind of staying out late. Hey, you're kind of, it seems like you guys are, I mean, it's not just like hanging out, laughing together. It seems like there's something going on with you and this other lady. And he would talk about, hey, man, I just wish somebody would have yanked me by my collar. And just said, no, don't go there. That leads to destruction. And nobody did. But listen, God healed them from that. But our hope in that moment was that God would have saved him from that. And how would God save him from that? Through other people. Who around you is God calling you to protect from the evil one, from sin? Who around you is isolated and you see some things, you see some depression you see some, some just bitterness in their life, and you're thinking, man, I don't know how they're doing. Is your first instinct to reach out to him, to reach up to God about him or her? That's what God has called you to do. That is the way God protects us. We are not in this alone. We are in this together. John, Grandpa John, he wants you to know that as he concludes this letter. Are you speaking the truth in love? Last thing, God protects us from idols. Look at verse 20. It says this, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So here's the abrupt ending. Here's this the way he ends the whole letter, this warning about idols. Why idols? I could preach a whole sermon about it, but I'm not. Take a deep breath, okay? Why does he talk about idols? Just briefly, this is a whole book about love. Listen, it's a whole book about love. The issue is not just do you love God. The issue is 
Do you love God above everything else? Augustine talked about this, that there's disordered loves. That the primary uh, bad thing about idol worship is that you're loving something else over and above God. And maybe it's a, a bad thing. Maybe it is something like pride or, or lust or gossip or greed. And maybe you've gone after that thing and you've, you're loving it above God. But maybe it's also a good thing. Maybe it's, again, in 2020, maybe it's your comfort and your routine. And, and for a lot of us, we're really realizing, hey, that was an idol. I love my comforts. I love my routines. And God's ripping down those idols right now in this season. Maybe it's your kids. And maybe it's all the sports that they played and all of their successes and all their academia. And now they're at home with you and you're like, man, I don't know if they're going to get the scholarship now with my teaching. And maybe God's starting to put your kids in perspective and say, hey, maybe you put your kids up as an idol. Maybe it's your career. There's an economic downturn. You can't go in the office as much, and people are getting laid off, and, and you're, you're starting to have some momentum at your job, but now that momentum is being taken away. There's been times in my life as a pastor, man, things were going so great before this pandemic for our church. We had such momentum. We're six years old. Things were heading in such a good direction, and then the pandemic ruined it all. And I've started to see, hey, for me, is sometimes ministry an idol for me? Is sometimes butts and seats an idol for me? I hope it's not, but, but this season has caused me to really, hey, do I love that? Do I love the amens of people more than serving them? And God's begun to rip down that idol for me. What is that for you? You see, why idols? Why does it end with a, a warning about idols in a book that's all about love? Because they go exactly together. The most powerful, the most appropriate way for John to end this letter is to talk about idols. Hey, it's not just do you love God. It's do you love God above everything else. And so that's the question that we're left with. That's the question in front of you today. How much do you love God? Is it more than everything else? He ends the way he started. Remember the way he started, another abrupt way to start? He said, that which is from the beginning, that which we've seen, which we've heard, which we've looked upon. Jesus Christ, from the beginning. Remember we said, not just in first in sequence, but first in priority. Jesus Christ, he's the true God, John says. He's the only one that's worthy of your affection, of your devotion, of your worship. For you, in 2020, at the end of this book, what is inched its way above God? Is it your comfort? Is it your routine? Is it your success and perceived reputation with other people, so much so that you won't talk to people about their sin because you're worried about what they would think of you? Is it approval? Has that inched its way above God and what you love? Has that become, do you have a disordered love in your life? That's what John wants you to see. Hey, in order to love God over and above everything else, that's the whole point of the book, you need to bring some things down that have taken his place. That's what he's calling us to. God loves you. There is no fear in love. Because God loves us, he first loves us. We can love him. He will never fail us. 
2020 is going to fail us. Let me just tell you, 2021 is going to fail you, but God and his love will never fail you. Whoever the president's going to be, I think we know. He's going to fail you. It is inauguration. He's going to promise lots of things, but he's going to fail you. God, your heavenly father, he will not fail you. Don't put your political bias above him. It makes perfect sense that John would end a letter all about love with saying, don't love anything else above God. Because he knew in their day they were prone to do that. He knows in our day we're prone to do that as well. This is we end this letter. Love God. He has first loved you. Love him first. He's from the beginning. First in sequence. First in priority. What do you need to rip down so that you can do that? Political bias. Earlier we talked about it several months ago, social media, organizationally. We, we just, hey, we're going to rip that down for a while. What is that for you? Insecurity, approval. Take a moment right now. As we conclude this series, take a moment. God, what am I loving functionally in my life more than you? Change that. Break that. Help me to love you, the only constant in my life, more than anything else. Help that to be shown in my attention, my affection, in my devotion. Let's take a moment to consider that now. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for that certainty, God, that we can know without a shadow of a doubt, watching from home in this room, that the God of the universe has chosen to shine his face upon us, to love us. And God, may we return that love to you. And God, may we heed this call from John, Grandpa John, who he loves us. He wants us to be protected. God, you love us. You want us to be protected. That we may consider anything that we place above you that will fail us, that will in some cases destroy us. And out of love, you don't want that to happen. So may we consider in this moment, may we not miss this moment to consider what we're placing above you. And that God, by the power of your spirit, you would rip that down. And you would show us how beautiful it is for a child to love their father above all else. And we would give our lives to that. We would give our money to that. We would give our time to that. We would give our relationships with others to that. God, thank you for loving us. Help us to love you in return everything we have. In Jesus' name we pray.